And this is the municipal. Have you been paying attention to like city stuff? Don't vote, can't bitch. Sorry to uh, to point that finger at you. My answer was that would be yes and no. My tummy hurts, and I'm mad at the government. You're saying council wouldn't approve it, and two, you're robbing them of their their voice. It's it's he's already he's already failed to uphold. Welcome to another jam-packed edition of the Municipals. I'm Matthew. And I'm Philip. And today, of course, we are joined by uh, my friend Gru, who is uh, running for mayor of Toronto. Gru, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Great to be here. I'm, I'm, I'm interested, Gru. You know, uh, I guess the first day of registration came, and, and Phil and I were actually part of our uh, the media scrum. I'm I'm interested. Did you know that day that you were going to register, or did you make up your mind shortly thereafter, or wh- whatever you want to tell? And then you can you know you can parlay that into your, uh, your your policies or whatever that you want to enact. Should you win the mayor's chair? Go ahead. The floor is yours, my friend. Oh uh, yay! The floor is mine. Um, short short answer. Yes, I knew. I knew. Uh, on the 3rd of April that I was definitely going to be uh, running for mayor. Um, I had actually, uh, I had made up my mind that, uh, that I was going to do that on October 25th of 22, <laughs> uh, the day after the, the day after Tory uh, won. Uh, I was expecting it to be in 2026, though. Uh, and uh, was sort of taken off guard a little when the resignation happened. Uh, but then, because of the short turnaround, um, and because I don't have uh, the resources of some of my competition, uh, it took me a, a little bit to put together my team I uh, f- well enough that I felt comfortable uh, trying to um, trying to put the nomination in, and then we had some issues with actually getting my name on the ballot uh, because obviously my uh, Gru is not my uh, is not my legal name, uh, and the city's uh, policies around identification for somebody who is running uh effectively require you to run under your debt or under your legal regardless of whether you use that in uh any other context um which can make things difficult for people who uh for one reason or another uh don't uh, don't use their legal name, including, you know, half of my team, uh, roughly half of my team are um, are trans queer people who uh, have not had the opportunity yet to change uh, their name legally uh, or have not had the resources to change their name legally. It's not incredibly resource intensive, but it's enough that when you're struggling to get by day to day, you don't have the $150 to 
throw away on a legal name change. Um, and so because I was, uh, because everyone who endorsed me uh, only knew me, only knows me as Gru, um, the city clerk's office was like, oh, well, like, this doesn't work. And so we had to fight back and forth with them for a couple of weeks on uh, how we could go around actually getting my, my, uh, my taken name on the ballot. Uh, and eventually that led to uh, a first of its kind for Toronto, at least, uh, form through the bureaucracy that says um, they, you know, this this person uh, go ha, goes by this other name that is not their um, that is not their legal name, uh, but we're allowing them to. Uh, to run on the ballot under that name. Uh, so that happened, or that, we got that confirmation on April, I don't know, 28th or something, uh, just before end of day on the Friday. And on International Workers' Day, we walked into City Hall to actually nominate at, uh, it was something stupid, like quarter to nine in the morning. <laughs> it was incredibly early. Um, realistically though like the reason that I personally hadn't had the opportunity to change to change my legal name uh, and the reason then that we had all of this back and forth issue uh, is because in the five years that I uh, have been going exclusively as through um I was living in a tent in the Don Valley and then uh, living in one of the shelter hotels and um, really just kind of struggling to get by on the day to day. Um, and that lived experience is really why, um, why I'm why I was so interested in running for uh, for the mayor's office, seeing the real world effects of policy decisions um, every single day in uh, in both uh, in both life as uh, a homeless Torontonian working uh, full time and not being able to afford to pay rent anywhere in this city. Uh, but also in um, in riding a bike around town to, for transport, in uh, in taking transit uh, when the bike was either stolen or uh, in for repairs or uh, you know for whatever reason not the uh, not the best tool for the job. Um, you end up you see you very quickly see that um, that Toronto isn't working for most people who live in Toronto. Um, and as I was considering whether or not I should 
uh, run on sort of the that single issue around uh, around housing and homelessness. Uh, I was talking to some people and and learned they um, they when it comes to most elections, uh, candidates, especially in our uh, in our like major political parties, will mark people who say, "Oh no, I don't vote as non-voters and then never talk to them again. Um, which I, when, when I learned that a, a sort of a sort of light bulb went off, um, I had been curious for the longest time, a, why in the nearly decade that I've lived in Toronto, no candidate has ever come uh, to either, an encampment or a shelter in order to talk to people who are unhoused in Toronto, who are in the greatest need of some of the services that they, this city offers. Uh, but I was also confused for a long time as to why in election after election, we see um, our uh, our percentage of the electorate who actually gets out to vote just decrease in each in each successive election. Uh, and when I learned this about um, about oh people get marked as non-voters uh, and then never talk to you again, all of a sudden it made a lot of sense. If 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 someone isn't being spoken to by political candidates, then what reason is there for those people to go out and vote? Um, and so all of a sudden it became less of, I need to run to move the conversation on, on homelessness and more about, um, I need to run in order to or maybe not like I need to run, but somebody need, needs to run in order to speak to those people who haven't been uh, haven't been sort of addressed by any political candidate for five, ten, fifteen years, uh, and have stopped voting because nobody is speaking to their issues. And you know, I. I... I feel, you know, Gru, when I talked to you, when I was, when I was running for city council, um, you know, it really seemed like it came down to a factor of a lot of these people are running without the lived experience. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, no, absolutely. Um, when, no, sorry, when you got me off guard with that. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, but like, when is the last time that uh, that a Brad Bradford or an Anna Bailao or a Mark Saunders had to had to struggle through a, a day or a week, not knowing whether they were going to be able to pay their rent this this month, or I guess for most of them, their multiple mortgages. Um, it, there's. I feel like when I feel like when uh, when those of us who are working minimum wage jobs or or even slightly better than minimum wage jobs 
who are just barely getting by week to week. Uh, when we look at a slate of candidates who have have at least not had to uh, worry about those struggles for most of their lives, if ever, uh, it becomes really difficult to 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 look at them and go like, oh, this person knows what uh, knows what my life is like, knows what my needs are. Because um, like, what the hell does a rich person know about uh, about trying to make a budget last when your expenses are three times your income? Yeah. And for a lot of a lot of them, it's not even it's never been a factor for them. Like it's it's being kind to say, like, you know, who haven't experienced it in a long time. A lot of the money isn't even a question for them. So no. it's not it's not a factor that they they have to even calculate realistically. Uh, sorry, I want to girl, I want to ask you good questions, but I'm always just like. I was just like listening to you talk, <laughs> um, you know, but I, I feel like you've, you've been doing a lot of, a lot of events, a lot of uh, really a lot of action since you've, uh, I mean, normal. That's, I feel like that's your standard to do sort of um, these events and actions, but especially in your capacity as mayor, um, have you been reaching, connecting with a lot of people when you do kind of go to a lot of these, uh, these events? Yes and no. Um, so since since announcing the the mayoral run, um, I I feel like I've been going to a lot more uh, to a lot more actions, but not necessarily the same types of actions as I would normally go to. I've in in the last couple of years, I've been very i've been really uh i've been really busy with um with sort of direct action around uh around the um the homelessness crisis uh and so in the summer of 2021 obviously was uh was a bunch of uh, encampment defenses uh and um and outreach in the encampments through 2022 was a lot of like there was a lot of work around the shelter hotels and trying to organize uh some level of community within those buildings which is mind-bogglingly difficult uh because of how isolated everyone is within those spaces and now this year it's been a lot of a lot more in the way of like meeting with people uh, to have discussions about the homelessness crisis, um, which is not my forte. I I'm not a huge fan of uh, of talk. <laughs> I would love for us to be going out and actually doing something about about these issues, and I. I don't know what the next step is necessarily in that, 
like when I saw this opportunity to um to start moving towards like oh like maybe we can actually move the conversation then towards um sort of towards civic engagement um towards doing stuff in uh both in city hall and out in our communities and so a lot of the community events that i've been going to in the last couple of weeks um have been just that they've been community events rather than necessarily campaign events and i it's it's difficult I, I, it's been difficult rather for me to sort of make the switch in my brain from we need to be talking about the issues and how to move the issues forward to we need to talk about like me and my run for mayor like no i it's that's it not it feels weird like centering it around <laughs> yourself when your yeah. whole thing is like it's about community action it's a that's exactly it it's about how can we as a community move towards making real positive changes for ourselves um our our campaign uh, or one of our campaign mottos uh is solidarity in action and it's that idea that um that solidarity is not just something that we speak about that it's something that we do it's a it's a verb that like this is this is something that we go out and we and we sort of uh, for lack of a better, better word perform uh solidarity we we stand on the, we stand on picket lines with striking workers we stand in defense of our unhoused neighbors we um we stand in defense of our tenant like of our of our our neighbors who rent who are facing eviction um but it's not it's not about talk for me and and i feel they that too often our uh our political candidates view solidarity as a buzzword that they can use when they're doing their photo ops but it's not something they they that they believe in on a day-to-day part of their like part of their life um it feels like it's it feels like solidarity to to most politicians is uh is something that can that can be said it's a flowery word that wins people over to their cause um obviously the the or the the other <clears throat> the other slogan that will that we that we will be using is um one that anyone who has been to a protest will uh, will recognize immediately, and that is, we keep us safe. Um, it's not enough to elect a representative uh, once every four years and then pretend that, or then say, okay, like well, I've done my part. That's that's it, and I'll see you again in four years. We really need to 
internalize this idea they um they the only way through these crises that toronto is facing is together as as community um it's it's not enough to show up at the ballot box although that is the first step we then need to hold whoever we, we need to hold the feet of whoever we do elect to the fire and say this is what we expect of you uh regardless of whether you're huh that's interesting sorry i just saw a notification pop up on my phone um that i was not expecting um oh, news do we get a sneak peek or or is it beyond uh, us maybe uh kevin clark just uh oh never mind <laughs> Kevin Clark just invited me to the homeless memorial on Tuesday, <laughs> which I am. I, I, okay. I, I don't think I don't think you needed Kevin Clark to tell you about that. <laughs> oh, that is so. That is so, Groot, we we do have to uh, we do have a time limit here that uh, we have okay. to adhere to. So I I wonder if uh, Matthew should we should we jump to some more generic mayoral questions for example thoughts on thoughts on gardner ontario place the science center well if if you could work that into your your closing um <laughs> why why because this is your chance to talk to our our voters now our the voters mm-hmm. our listeners and tell them why they should vote for you and if you want to incorporate that into your your closing thing because we do have another thing we have to jump on so the floor is yours my friend again go ahead all right um and don't forget your website if you have one. We have one. It's not quite ready yet, <laughs> uh, but that'll be grew four the number four uh, mayor ca. Um, and hopefully should be up shortly. Like I think by the end of the week, but I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I've got other people working on that piece, uh, and I don't want to like publicly put a deadline on them like that <laughs> uh gardner tear it the fuck down uh we need we need to be focusing on transit and active transportation in and out of the city not on bringing more and more cars in we don't have space for the cars that we have uh and frankly it's ridiculous that we keep on focusing on the few thousand people at a time who use the gardener to the cost of a billion dollars of Toronto taxpayer dollars. Uh, Ontario Place and Ontario Science Centre, I am confused as to why they are viewed as Toronto mayoral issues. Um, they're, They're predominantly uh prov- like provincial jurisdiction and if Doug Ford decides to do a thing then there's relatively limited means that we can do within the mayor's office to to like properly address it that being said when the bulldozers roll at Ontario Place to take down the, the trees there and flatten the West Island, I will be there 
to walk those bulldozers back just as I have in the past with other issues. When, uh, when Ontario Place ends up emptied out, uh, or when the when when the building at uh, at Ontario Place ends up emptied out, I fully believe that we should be uh, viewing that as an opportunity to rejuvenate the building and turn it into a in, into a community hub. But at the end of the day, it already is a community hub, and there's no there's no reason to yank that out of out of that neighborhood that is already so lacking in um, sort of cultural um, and destinations to go to. Um, we're we literally just built a, a subway to get there and and now we're gonna say oh no we're we're the actually science center it station it's it's insane <laughs> it's it's actually insane to me well thank you so much for for coming on and and letting us know what it's like uh i love your story and in the future i'd love to have you on and you know we could do a, a full episode but we're Unfortunately, right now we're we're in election season, so we're yeah. we're on high de- we're in high demand. I can only imagine. Thank you guys so much for having me. And that was Grew, the man Grew, my friend. I I, I feel like we robbed him because I, I I wish wish we could have given him more time. I uh, you know I think he gets an unfair rap because you know he's advocating for the homeless and he he was homeless and so he gets a bad rep but he's he's very fucking knowledgeable he's it blows me oh, away yeah. um, it's it's the lived experience which i think is um it's very it's such an asset that so many people don't look at when they're when they're choosing their political leaders and i i find grew very inspiring personally i probably shouldn't be so positive when it's like it's it's sort of the detriment of other candidates but um i i really i believe in group i believe in um what he stands for and uh i think he's great you know what you can't learn in a classroom phil lived experience oh no class oh sorry <laughs> you're right <laughs> you can't learn I'm that so in the classroom i'm so used to that um I think it's Fat Albert. I think it's a joke where it's like, you're like, you know, you're like a school on Saturday. No class. <laughs> but that's, sorry, that's not crew. I just. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Have you it, seen what the number is? As we are recording today, it's Monday. This is coming out on Wednesday. Have you seen the number? Don't look it up uh, now. Well, I'm not going to look it up. What number are you referencing? The number of mayoral candidates. Oh, my God. No. Oh, okay. Where are we at? What are we doing? 76. Holy shit. We've got, okay, we've got three days to hit an even hundred. So this is getting people? ridiculous. So this is what I people propose. Are, people are going to win with like 6,000 votes. This is what I propose. We're going to 
we're going to talk for a couple more minutes and then we're going to go to our, another, our, our next interview. But when we come back, you're going to be the host and I'm going to be the, the, play, the, get the player. We're going to play a game. Okay. We're going to play Survivor. And I'm going to start voting off some <laughs> of these every week until we are down to, we'll say, 10 or less. So in or and we have so including this episode, we have seven shows, which means if we are going to do that, I have I have to vote off sixteen candidates today. So that's what we're going to do in the second seg segment. But before we do that, there is one thing that I wanted to bring to your attention because we always go on the negative all the time. So when something positive happens, I like to recognize it. And I want to send a shout out to Ward 23 counselor, Jamal Myers. Um, I like my boy, Jamal. He actually follows us. I'm not sure if he listens, but if you're listening, Jamal, we salute you, man. So TTC, what up? come on the show. Exactly. Anytime, anytime, even for 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> uh, TTC Riders posted a tweet. It says, thank you, Councillor Jamal Myers, for speaking up for Scarborough Transit users and calling for Toronto to fund the $2.9 million needed to get the busway design started. Without a replacement busway, we'll spend countless hours stuck on traffic in traffic on replacement buses. Um, <clears throat> maybe uh, my, it's, been a, it's been a long day for me. Um, can I ask what he's talking about, a busway design? Oh, okay. This is actually good. Uh, and actually, it sort of moved from <clears throat> Jamal Myers to the rest of the Scarborough counselors all supporting it. So you're right to point out that this is a great development. This is super great. So what their plan is, is I, I assume the understanding is that they would pave over the, the tracks where the Line 3 RT runs to make that a dedicated busway so that it's not, you know, the bus is just going on the roads and, and taking regular time. So I, I think it's actually, it's a brilliant idea to get, you know, transit moving that way. At some point it has to divert back onto the road. Um, I think that would probably be around mm, Midland, probably around Midland, I think it would have to go back onto the road but that's my understanding of what that is it, that it essentially be uh you know getting rid of the tracks at the the rt there and just making a dedicated busway you know i jamal myers was actually one of my very first interviews uh when i started this thing last year and i remember him telling me a story about i, th I think it was his grandmother Help, helping her walk across the street and not realizing that I, I don't want to put I'm going to fuck the story up but it's just go for anyone that wants to hear it go back it's this time in history uh, it's probably towards the beginning of May or June somewhere in there and, and find it it's, it's actually a really great story and honestly he's very passionate I'm very glad he won unfortunately it was due to Mostly. The circumstances are, we can glide yeah. over the circumstances. 
but he's doing really good things for Ward 23. I'm very happy that he's the he's the counselor there. Um, yeah. So the other thing I wanted to cover real quick, just uh, as a personal note between you and me, guess what I found? We picked up, we bought, because they sell them apparently only at Walmart. The thing you've been looking for to change your life, the old El Paso pizza pops. They're still in the fridge, the freezer, though. I haven't tried them. Yeah, so, man. So next week, I'll give you a review because we haven't. It, things have been crazy here. You know, um, I spent the weekend. Our garden is planted. It's done. Hell yeah. It's, it's a lot of work, but hey, I don't care because it's done because these grocery prices, they just keep going up. It's like the stock market, except with the stock market, you're yeah. actually, you want it to go up and it goes down, but the fucking grocery prices, they, they don't know where to go except up. We but love anyway, our, our climbing grocery prices. With that, we, don't. we are going to pause now and go to our next interview. So we'll see you on the other side. And we're back. And we're joined by 2023 mayoral candidate, Mr. Brian Graff. Welcome to the show, Brian. Uh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And uh, it's a wonderful opportunity. And this is your chance now. Uh, we'd love to hear about your, your plans and your policies that you'd love to enact. Maybe uh, highlight your three, what you think are the three biggest issues Toronto's facing. And my friend, the floor is yours. Go ahead. Well, I mean, there's obviously more than three issues. And some of the issues right now, like Ontario Place, uh, you know, is is certainly in the news. And uh, there's a lot going on with the Ontario line. Uh, what really got me involved in this election and wanting to run was that, um, you know, a sense of frustration in the last couple of years with uh, some of the debate about housing and some of the other issues. And, um, you know, I've been involved in politics since the 1980s, federally, provincially, and then kind of local things when I moved to the beach in 2009 on urban planning and that, right? So, but uh, what's really bothered me is that there's a lot of debate about housing and how it's the lack of supply and affordability. And, you know, we've got to change all the rules to basically allow more density and densification. But nobody ever really talks about the fact of what's driving all of this and what's driving prices. Um, you know, and my background's in real estate and I've worked on um, a appraisal designation in that. So I have some expertise in this. But basically it comes down to, it's not an issue of, of supply. It's really an issue of demand. Um, and particularly uh, population growth. So for me, um, you know, ever since uh, sort of the 90s, I've been very keen, keenly sort of investigating immigration, which is obviously a, big thing that, uh, you know, for this country we've relied upon. But uh, particularly, you know, uh, there's a very good article in the uh, Globe last year, which had a scatter graph, right? And there's a very clear relationship between population growth and housing inflation. So, you know, if you look at uh, the um, uh, planning department does a, a report every spring, there's actually 200,000 units that are rezoned already and unbuilt. And we build about 20,000 units a year in the 416. So that's like 10 years supply. But there's actually another 400,000 units in the pipeline. And that's all those properties with the signs on them and all that. So you've got 600,000 units mm -hmm. 
of housing that will be built most likely pretty well everything that gets you know gets approved by this council or the olt that used to be the omb right so it's not a matter of rezoning so things like missing middle and exclusionary zoning and all that don't matter and when i hear other candidates saying you know they're going to build so many units a year and and that this will you know make housing affordable it's not going to make any difference in the long run because you have about 220,000 immigrants coming into the Toronto area you have about 80,000 people a year moving out net right so really there's about 240,000 people that you've got to build housing for each year if you were just to have not people moving out more than they're moving in right to other parts of the province so that was really sort of one of the things that has bothered me and you know i've written uh, an op-ed for the toronto star that will be published online later this week i believe and uh, so that's really what uh, what motivated me i mean i ran for council in uh, 2014 and you know like i say a lot of my involvement has been over planning issues and over densification and heritage and things like that but like i say i, I i'm just frustrated by by uh, the fact that it seems to be, uh, you know, immigration is a sacred cow. So everybody's been looking to sort of find other things. And it's not to be anti-immigrant or xenophobic or all that. It's just purely macro um, uh, macro issue. I was going to say Matt Lundy in the uh, Globe and Mail has actually been reporting on this lately and doing a pretty good job. But generally speaking, uh, most of the reporters and politicians have avoided this this topic or or so just to move on a little bit i mean um ed keenan in the <coughs> sorry ed keenan in the toronto star had a very good article last week where he interviewed david miller a former mayor and uh, <coughs> sorry um miller uh was basically saying one of the flaws of john tory was that he wasn't using the big stick by which uh miller meant that uh, uh Tory's the only politician who really speaks for all the 2.8 million people in Toronto, which is, you know, there are only five provinces, uh, four provinces that are bigger than the number of people we have in Toronto. So he speaks for them more than uh, premiers. But that a lot of what the um, Tory should have done and what Amir has to do is really basically unify people in the city behind division or behind issues and then take it to Ford and Trudeau to basically get things done. And so for me, this is the whole thing with immigration, which Trudeau is doubling from 250,000 a year when he came to power to 500,000. But in fact, we had a million people come into this country last year when you include the temporary foreign workers and um, students, foreign students and that. So for me, that's the big issue is population growth is, is just behind the housing market, but it's also, uh, you know, affecting con congestion our need for transit and to spend on infrastructure it's all related to having too much growth that we really can't can't cope with wow uh, um, phil I, I just had a quick question i know you i know you want to okay. jump in um just out of curiosity where did you run in 2014 you said you ran for city council yeah i ran for city council against um mary margaret mcmahon in beaches uh, the south part mm. of the beaches this is when there was 40, 45 wards instead of 25. So it was the south end of what's um, currently Brad Bradford's uh, ward. And uh, again, I, I I was actually the first person in McMahon's office when she was elected. But she, uh, you know, we tried to work with her on the Licks redevelopment on uh, Queen Street. 
And, uh, you know, the uh, I sort of am sympathetic to Josh Matlow when he, you know, was disciplined because the city planner with responsibility for that file basically wrote a report that ignored, you know, council votes and policy and basically applied the wrong policy. Um, but we couldn't really get McMahon on it. Well, she, she tried to be on our side, she would tell us, but in the end, she did a secret deal with the developers at the last minute. So so nobody else was running against her. And so I jumped in the race. And at the very last day, Sandra Busson joined the race. So I came in third uh, behind those two because basically there was no media coverage and they saw it as a rematch of the uh, the previous uh, 2010 election. Go ahead, Philip. I feel like, okay, housing is so very obviously it's so important where we're at right now, where it really feels like the crunch right now, where, you know, everything is so expensive. Um, it's one of those things that it's it's so important for us to get right. But I, I feel like it's the knowledge from common people, and I'm including myself, and maybe Matthew, I don't want to speak for Matthew, but I'm just going to speak for myself. Um, it all feels heavy and like beyond me i know we need to fix housing and i know it needs to happen so i appreciate someone who is saying um I, it feels like there's a lot of different opinions as well when it comes to what is correct when it comes to housing which makes it again for a layman like me makes it very hard to kind of keep up and to know what is where we're supposed to like support housing initiatives and what's the truth and what's what's actually a problem uh i'm 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 curious uh is airbnb an issue when it comes to our supply i don't really think it is and i'll actually tell you i own a house a second house not the one i live in that i uh, bought in um in 2000 and the current tenants are actually renting out a couple of bedrooms for airbnb so i was actually at the airbnb website a few days ago checking it out uh, to see the photos and how much they were asking and how many um, how many other units. And this is right downtown near the Art Gallery of Ontario. And there really weren't that many units uh, in that area on Airbnb. So it's like, I think it's like the whole issue uh, over vacant houses, um, you know, with a tax where they found, you know, 2,100 units. And maybe even if people- Yeah, not were, very much. Yeah, even if people were lying and it was two or three times that, you know, four or 6,000 units, you know, that's not really the issue, particularly, I mean, it's a lot of people might have, you know, cottages or places in Florida, and they're only there part of the year, you know, so they might look a, a vacant, but, you know, or, I mean, you know, one of those 2000 people is probably Elton John and David Furnish, who have a condo, and they can easily afford the tax. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they don't live, they don't live in their condo on University Avenue, more than six months a year, right? So, Brian, I got another question. You know, I, I grew up in in housing, and so, you know, sorry, house, housing in Ontario housing or Ontario or housing, yeah. Okay, um, I actually, I actually worked for Metro when it was called Metro Housing in the, in the when I was at university. So, and I've asked this question to, to countless people, and I, not that they didn't answer it. I just, I guess, I haven't been satisfied with the answer because. I don't, I don't know that there is a clear cut answer, I guess is what I'm trying to say is, so my question is, why did we stop building rent geared to income apartment buildings, you know, owned by right. 
owned by different different companies or or they're either operated why did that stop well i think i can answer that and, and just let me say you know i mean i have a degree in architecture and i worked and i've been working in things related to housing since you know i was in school in the late 70s and early 80s and you know i did work for metro housing and i've been involved in politics what happened was I mean, partly the Mulroney government cut back on things when when he was elected in the early 80s. But what happened to a large extent was, you know, when they built Regent Park and Moss Park and all of those, those were 100% rent geared to income housing, right? So every unit was subsidized or essentially to, to bring the rent down to 30%. Um, then they discovered, well, you know, like with Pruitt Ego in the US, if you know that story with with Jane Jacobs and that, you know, that basically having 100% subsidized was creating slums and not very healthy social environments. So the, the rules changed in the 1980s, late 70s and 80s, where they started building co-ops where 25%, maybe 30% tops were subsidized, and the other 75% were rented at market rates. And so, you know, you're basically building three units and then and then a fourth unit is is subsidized. So, but the problem was, is that with rent controls in Toronto uh, and Ontario at that time that came in in 1975, and the fact that condos became legal, you know, it made more sense for, you know, a lot of the land for for multi-unit buildings was was being used for condos. So the private sector wasn't building apartments, but the government, you know, if they built a, a gave the money for a co-op to be built, the the rents that they could get in the market were not enough to cover the cost of construction and maintenance and mortgages and all that. So if you remember the whole thing with Olivia Chow and and Jack Layton being demonized for living, you know, in a building that was getting subsidized and then they eventually had to move out and obviously she's she's running, they were they were unfairly demonized because in effect the unit they were living in was not one of the rent geared to income units. The unit had to be subsidized because if it if it, it was paid full at cost, if it was rent was at the full cost to build and maintain that unit, nobody would pay that rent because it it's so far above market. So essentially, the government the subsidies were so high that government kind of got out of that. And particularly when Mulroney came to power, he cut back on the programs for co-ops and that. So I had relatives who lived in the U Garner co-op, um, you know, just off of. Um, uh, Jarvis Street, right, and 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 it was one of the last sort of buildings I think built in the uh, in the eighties um, before Mulroney came to power. So does does that kind of give you a sense of what the problem is? And it's still a bit of a problem too. Um, I think even today that that it's very difficult uh, to build um, to build housing because again you don't want to have one hundred percent subsidized. Well, absolutely, and you know it, it goes in hand in hand with the. The definition of uh, affordable housing, because everybody's definition, it it they it differs slightly. Everyone has their own definition. Well, I'm actually on the board of a of a nonprofit corporation that builds housing, and uh, I don't want to mention the name or anything like that. But but essentially, this is a problem that we've had. It was that in the 1990s, the model was basically to um, you know, to make units affordable, essentially, by by bringing the mortgage down and that. But these days, you you know, the, the provincial government's using the word attainable, because you've got definitions from CMHC, from the province, from the city, and then, you know, what does it mean? And is it based on income 
affordability or is it based on market rents and, and market prices? Because the problem now is you need like $150,000, $200,000 income in a family to afford even a, a basic new condo, right? And that's not really low income, right? So you're really, uh, a lot of the housing that's going to be built, you know, um, with with uh, under the Ford program or whatever may not really be helping people with low incomes. You're really helping yuppies, as the, the 1980s term, uh, you know, professional dual <laughs> income, dual, or, or dinks as they were called, dual, dual income, no kids. Yeah. Uh, so, Bill, you got a question? Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is another instance of, uh, I asked this question because it's important. But not because I have a, a good knowledge base on on how to uh, go at it. Actually, okay, I'll start by saying I, I like to present myself uh, to our guests my my political ideology, which is to say that I I do consider myself a more leftist, progressive kind of person, and I I like to present that because I I feel like a lot of the ideas that come from or the image that comes from progressive ideas, a lot of it is like. Well, you sort of just throw throw money at everything and, you know, hope that solves the problem. Um, but where we are, where the city of Toronto is at financially, you know, we're we're in a huge, a huge hole. And mm -hmm. I, I feel like no matter whatever, whatever things I want to happen, whatever services, whatever things I want to get built, none of that happens without the cash. Yes. So I'm I'm curious, uh, Brian, what you think some uh, some of our revenue tools that we could use to maybe uh, get us back into a better financial position? Well, I mean, you know, there's people who want to put in road tolls, but the problem is, is that basically means that uh, the poor can't drive to work or or commute or whatever. Um, and then there's a cost of collecting the tolls, like on you know Highway 407, where you're paying all these these fees or whatever, right? Um, a sales tax is just going to drive businesses to the 905, right? I mean, unless you have a sales tax, municipal sales tax all across Ontario, where essentially the province gives, you know, maybe raises the sales tax by 1% and gives that to the municipalities. It's going to just basically, you know, hurt Toronto. And, you know, people will find ways around it. Corporations that have offices here will move their head office technically to Markham or somewhere else. So, so it's, you know, we do have a huge hole. And I, I got a survey from the group called ACORN, which is a leftist housing group. And they had about a dozen asks, which included things like lots of more by hiring, lots of more bylaw officers and all that to, to police landlords and that. And basically, I had to say no to all of their asks to be because I'm I'm being honest here. Like a lot of the politicians are just going to say, you know, whatever somebody wants to hear. But basically, yeah, we don't have the money to hire, you know, a ton of a ton of bylaw officers, and you know, it's hard to know where the money is going to come from. But I mean, my focus has been on the fact that with the high population growth that we have and that's accelerating, you know, we have to spend all this money on infrastructure. And mind you, you know, the province has stepped in to build the Ontario line, but, you know, it's billions of dollars in transit we have to build. We don't have enough parks, you know, and there's the rail deck park that would cost a billion dollars. And, you know, the city doesn't have the money for that. And and the, the money they get from developers for parkland dedication isn't enough. And they usually end up spending the money on playgrounds and things on existing parks, not actually buying land. 
So, I mean, I don't really have an answer as to where the revenue tool is, but like I say with the, the Ed Keenan article, basically we have to go cop in hand to the federal and provincial governments and say, we can't afford this. You know, you, you've got to help us out because, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'll, I'll give Josh Matlow some credit. He's about the only one who's saying he'll raise taxes, but nobody wants to to, to do that because most, most of the people who vote in a municipal election are property owners. Um Tenants tend to, to vote on a very low percentage, right? So, so if you if you uh, uh, and particularly there's a lot of conservative voters in the suburbs too, right? Uh, as opposed to downtown. So if you start saying you're going to raise taxes uh, on properties, you know you're you're not going to get elected, right? So most most of the politicians have basically stepped around that. But I don't think I don't think road tolls work because they'll just drive traffic off of the main roads onto side streets and that and. You know, we have, have a huge problem right now with, you know, vacancies downtown and getting people to come back to work. So businesses, you know, the restaurants and all the other tourists, you know, and and, uh, and other things downtown, you know, they don't have the foot traffic. All good points. And, you know, as someone who delivers downtown, I see it firsthand. So I, I'm, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Um, I'm just aware of our time. Just quickly, I wanted to quickly ask you about the TTC and what's going on with that, the budget cuts and the violence. I'm just wondering what you think needs to happen, and then uh, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm not really an expert on, on the TTC. I've often looked at uh, Steve Rowe's blog. He's the real expert on the TTC. And, you know, I mean, my big issue with the TTC right now is – that, uh, you know, with the Ontario line, that Ford is putting it under Queen Street, which is going to disrupt the uh, the Queen Street car, uh, you know, for the next five years. And I live close to Queen, so the 501 pass is very close to me. But there's no need to put a streetcar under Queen Street when all the people coming on the Ontario line will be going south to the financial district, you know. Um, but in terms of violence, I mean, that's that's a very difficult one because, you know, nobody really knows why... Crime has been increasing since it, you know, bottomed out around 2014. You know, is it teens and social media? I mean, obviously guns uh, are not so much a TTC issue, but a general issue. And then we've got opioids. And a lot of those things, uh, again, are the federal and provincial government. And I, I saw in the media that uh, the federal government's giving the province a whole bunch of money to help fight crime. But uh, I don't know if Toronto's going to see any of that. But I think I think that maybe a part of it is that we just have to have uh, cameras everywhere, unfortunately, and uh, maybe uh, it's monitored by AI or something like that. And if people are afraid of that they'll actually be seen and get caught, then maybe that'll have some impact. But you know, it's it's uh, it, it's it's a very difficult problem to know what's causing the spike in violence since 2014 and and what we can do about it. But it's really a matter of working with other nine you know other governments in the 905 and. The other levels of government and uh it's and, interesting I, that you cor sorry to interrupt you but it's interesting that you correlate it back to 2014 because in 2014 john tory was elected and, <laughs> and every and every year since then the police budget has gone up hmm. and so too has the crime rate yeah, like, interesting. Yeah. Well, that's all that's all across north america i mean i wish i, I wish i could blame john, john tory for everything and say you know uh, i could fix it all but uh but uh, certainly, I mean, that's a that's a black mark against Mark Saunders running for mayor that, uh, you know, that on his watch, crime, you know, 
here didn't didn't really you know didn't go down it went up so and i don't know i mean his expertise is really just in policing i don't know if he really has an understanding i mean when i got involved with mary margaret mcmahon uh, as my counselor in 2010, she had no clue about urban planning issues, right? And and uh, you know how how that all worked, right? And because her her background was in like in, in green and environmental things, and uh, and really had no expertise in that, right? And so so I, I uh, you know there's a risk of any politician basically of wanting to answer a question and say I have the solution, and nobody wants to say well I don't know or I don't have a solution. And seriously, again, this is not not an area of my expertise. And so it's a matter of, I said, you know, getting getting to work with the people who have some ideas as to why crime has gone up. And I don't think you can really solve it until we have, you know, some idea what it was. I mean, crime went down from the 1960s to the 1980s, and they, they had theories that it was because of legal abortion or birth control, and then getting rid of lead in paint and gasoline and all of that, and, and crime dropped you know, to that low point in 2014 because of some of those things. But no, tell me why it's gone up. And other than opioids and social media, what other possible excuses are there? Is it plastics or something else affecting things? I don't know. I mean, I would, I would personally suggest, I mean, and maybe it's just what I've personally felt. It sort of feels like, um, I, I kind of feel like things have just gotten worse in terms of, material conditions or people actually no, i guess people's living conditions people's ability to pay rent i i feel like all that stuff has gone up and wages have not caught up yeah. for whatever reason it feels like that's accelerated a lot in the last few years so i i would i would put some stock in that personally i mean not that i have a solution just that's my thought but again this is this is where i go back to immigration right and and certainly it's supply and demand and if you add people to the labor market, it used to be the people on the left, like 100 years ago, unions were against immigration because they knew that adding a supply of workers is, is what, what the corporations and the bosses want. That adding more to workers, make it, cheaper. It, it lowers wages. It, it, it means that they have more bargaining power, right? It means that you don't have to raise wages. I mean, in the last couple of years with the pandemic and that, wages actually in the U.S. started to go up faster than inflation. But then you have the Bank of Canada and also the, to a lesser extent, the Fed in the US. If wages go up faster than inflation, they call that a wage price, wage price spiral. And they see that as a bad thing. And so what you, what's happened since about you know 1980, when you had neoliberalism and monetarism and all that, is basically the laws have basically you know, gutted unions and done other things. So that all of the all of the gains from productivity go to capital and, and you know senior managers, and you know we have greater inequality and lower wages. But again, you're not going to have higher wages unless you have a labor shortage, well, like we have now. But for some reason in Canada, you know, like the um, the labor agreement the federal government just made with PSAC is actually like twelve percent uh to from 2021 till next year but in fact inflation has been higher than that. so a lot of the wage agreements now are not even catching up with the last couple of years but again unless you have a a shortage of labor and then higher minimum wage and um you know other things uh to generally make it easier for people who aren't working i mean you're gonna have that i mean there was a, a debate about the fact that it used to be you know, people could afford a brand new car, like an average family, right? And now, you know, the price of new cars has gone up so much that, you know, like the Honda, basic Honda Civic now costs like $28,000. 
I bought I bought one for five thousand dollars in nineteen eighty. Was my first new car. <laughs> but who can afford? I mean, twenty eight thousand for a basic. That's the minimum Honda's Honda you can buy. That's crazy. It is it's crazy. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for for coming on. This is your opportunity to speak directly to our listeners. Let them know why they should vote for Mayor Graf, and and don't forget to include your website. Go ahead, the floor is yours. Okay, yeah. Well, my website is BrianGraf.net, and uh, if you find that on the city website or or wherever. And basically, you know, I'm I never expected to run for political office, right? I'm not one of these egotists like Mulroney or whatever who always dreamed of being a big shot. I was always a policy wonk, right? And so I'm I'm concerned with ideas, and I'm also been called brutally honest. So, you know, like I said, I think I've tried to be honest in, in this interview and, and say I don't have all the answers, but I certainly know it's almost like the hedgehog and the fox thing that I know one big thing, which is that unless we actually reduce population growth in the GTA over the next 10 to 20 years, we're not going to catch up with a lack of infrastructure since 1990. We're not going to have higher wages and incomes and housing prices are just going to keep going up. It's basic land economics and basic supply and demand. And so you know, basically, we need a mayor who's going to take on Ford and take on Tory and give him hell. And um, like I say, that's what uh, David Miller basically recommended is, you know, the big stick of basically rallying the voters behind a common cause or common vision. And so I, that's really what what I'm here to talk about. And like I say, even if I'm not elected, I think that's the big issue is that we can't have you know, a million people coming into Canada and to over 200,000 people coming into Toronto and expect that housing prices are going to go down or even stay the same. Well, thank you again for coming on and giving us knowledge. Um, I mean, we covered things today that I, I'm not sure that we covered with anybody else. So thank you so much for that. And um, we you know, when you this is, I was going to say when this is over, I'd, I'd be happy to come back and we can talk about some of these issues. Because, uh, again, like my expertise is in housing and I've worked in mortgages and other things. So I, I really, uh, really think you're you're doing a great job here. And uh, I'd love to be back for another visit at some point. Absolutely. We'd love to have you. Um, we'll, we'll be in touch. And uh, I was just going to say, I wish you nothing but luck on your on your campaign trail. Great. Thanks very much. And look out for a uh, an op-ed on the uh, Toronto Star website in the next week uh, under my name. It, uh, I was told it'll be, be coming soon. We'll look forward to that. Thank uh, you so much. And we're back. And that was Brian Graff. Great interview. It's, it's always exciting to talk to people who um, they talk about a subject that you're not necessarily knowledgeable in, but you know it's important. So I, I do appreciate his expertise. He he is the classic example of somebody that should be working for the city. I don't know. I don't know if he's retired. I don't know if he's that. I don't know. I was trying to gauge an age because I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> but um, maybe he doesn't work for the city because he's retired. But he should because he's very knowledgeable. Like I learn things from him that that i didn't know before and he's actually the only one who can answer that fucking question of why they don't build rent geared to income apartment buildings anymore everything is condos 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 and you don't for the most part you don't rent condos and when you do you want market rent you're not gonna build a brand new condo and go this will be rent geared to income that's not gonna happen 
which is something that I do need Matthew to remind me of when we talk about housing. And I get people who are like fighting, opposing these condo towers. I'm thinking, you guys, we just need to get things built. And Matthew correctly is like, okay, Philip, they're not going to be affordable. And, you know, I don't think about that in the moment. I'm just like, shit, that's right. Absolutely. You know, uh, it's housing, to- housing is a hard topic. It's getting to the point where, you know, I've got this great idea of buying a, you know, not a, not a big piece. Well, fuck a, a decent sized piece of land and then throwing like six or eight trailers on there and then do an Airbnb trailer edition. <laughs> no, that probably wouldn't work. Anyway, let's get to our game. I want to play. You're the host. And this is survivor. Take it away, Philip. Oh my God. Wait, but, Oh, um, oh my God. I need to watch more survivor. I watched, Oh, I watched big brother, but how can I make this? Oh no. How do I make this relevant? You just ask me who I want to vote off the Island because, okay, let me, let me set it up. Matthew. This, this Toronto. Who are we voting off this Island? Who are we voting off turtle Island? We need, 16 people to keep schedule for for this week all right i want you i'm not going to remember this do you want to write this down give me one moment to get a okay i'm good you're good matthew who are you looking to vote off of turtle island let's start Start from the bottom. Now we're here. No. Uh, <laughs> let's start at the bottom. Nathalie Yan. And I'm going to do you more than what I'm going to give a reason for every single person. Nathalie Yan. Uh, no information. Eliminated. Uh, oh, that's going to get that's going to get a ton of people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just clear, uh, clear the for whole the thing. people for the people that have just registered in the last three or four days. I'll give them a uh, you know I, that's why I'm not going to attack them right away. Um, yeah, next week, right? <laughs> um, yeah, Yan Quinn Way, same same shit. Nothing, no information. That's two. Weezhen Tang. No information. That's three. I see. I don't know what name you were trying for. I really should go with the list, but it really sounded like you went. That first name is Weez. So that is what I typed. And uh, I like that. I love the last name Tang. It's a great drink. It's actually Ooh. what I'm drinking right now. Uh, bottle <laughs> water with the with the Tang squirt. Is that is Tang American? Is that a, an American drink? Well, or do I we can, have tang? I, I'm not sure. I no, it says uh no, it says BPA free. Uh, <laughs> oh no, that could be anything. I I don't know. Oh no, it's imported by imported, not fucking made. Imported by Kraft Heinz Canada. That's fair. Okay. Ah, fuck it. It tastes great. I love it. <laughs> I like I'm not the, judging. The grape is amazing. Anyway. So we're on three now. So yep. let's go to Lol Sanders. No information. Gone. Number four. That was four. 
Walter Rabino, no information, gone. Uh, I'll leave him alone because he just registered. <laughs> John Ransom. Oh God, that's that's not the name. Mayor Ransom? No, 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 no. That's gone. Not happening. <laughs> what are we at now? Six. Six. Okay. Oh, uh, he just registered, so I'll leave him alone. Michael Lamoro, gone. No information. All right. You let me know when I'm getting close to the number, okay? All right, we're at seven. Okay. Patricia Johnson, no information, gone. Hey. Michael Jensen, no information. Oh, wait, no, no, scratch that. He just uh, registered on May 3rd, so we'll give him a grace period. All right. We'll give him a grace period. We'll give her a grace period. <laughs> okay, here we go. Peter Hangis. No information. Gone. All right, that's nine. Thomas Hall. No information. Gone. You know, I feel like this game will be very scandalous when we actually start getting to people who have information and then we're actually dungeon <laughs> their platforms. Well, here's 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 my answer to that. And I love that you brought that up <laughs> because I, there's a quote. I didn't write it. I didn't come up with it, but I'm going to say it. Um, and I'm going to give credit to Jim Cornette podcast I listened to. He said something um, and he actually continuously says it uh, when he's reviewing bad wrestling. And and it's like this. He said. I don't want anything from you. I don't want a fucking job from you. So I'm the only one who's going to tell you the truth. And that applies here. I don't want a job or else else I'd be running for mayor. I'm the only one who's going to tell you the truth. Or maybe I'm not the only one, but I'm, I'm the only one saying I'm the, I'm going to tell you the truth. So that's, that's my uh, thing to that. All right. Adil Gurea, no information, gone. Five left, Matthew. Um, yeah. So this is where I'm going to go off the beaten path. And Ooh. Fang Gao, gone. I emailed this person and they emailed me back a quote. I emailed a request for an interview and they emailed me a quote and just because i'm 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 telling you the truth i'm gonna read it okay all right so where i gotta fucking find it first hold on did i did i tell me i didn't delete it oh here it is I don't think this was uh, addressed to me because he sent this quote to other people. So he, sorry, they, or what's the gender neutral? I don't know who, I don't know. They is gender, no, no, they is gender neutral. He writes in quotations, the whole thing is in quotations. Blah, blah, go home. Politicians go home. Wash your hands, stay home. Don't touch your wife. Just blah, blah, blah 
to her. She'll slap you and bark. Are you stupid or an MP mental patient? What the fuck is that? What does it mean? I don't get it. Um, you know what? I think I think that's probably good enough reason to dump him as a as a candidate. Because <laughs> what what is that? That's <laughs> so he's gone. So what are we? What's the number? Uh, I think we're at five left. Five left. Let's go. Oh no! Four left. Four left. Four left. Ooh, it's getting dicey. Okay, this may not be a popular one, but Claudette, oh. Claudette Beals, no information, gone. Hey, did you see that comedian? He actually did register. For real? Bit, uh, ben, 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 Bank. Ugh, I can't speak tonight. Ben Bank, Ah, Bankus. Fuck. Listen, chair, chair girl, still uh, advising his campaign. No, no, that was someone different. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Where are we now? How many do I have left? Three left. <sighs> Three left. Three left. Three left. Three left. Okay. Glenn Benway reached out to him. No answer. He is voted off the island. Oh, can I can I throw in a name of someone who? Uh, oh, who don't! I'm to already move? there. I'm already there. Kevin Clark. Cool. Oh yeah, that yeah, that was exactly what I was gonna say. Um, voted off not the sim- island. Not just not just for ignoring us, but you know, I'm also a part of this uh, this like political Facebook chat group sort of thing. You mentioned it and, last week. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and he's and he's a part of that group as well, and um, I I just don't think he's someone that we should be taking seriously, you know. Like he's got some fantasy poll numbers, and he's just he's not serious. <laughs> That's the way I see it. All right, and the last person, one more, right? It's not who you think it's going to be. I'm gonna leave that I for don't... I'm gonna leave that for next week. Uh, I'm gonna say Gordon Cohen. Cohen is voted off the island. All right. That, that just means next week is gonna be interesting. Well, because <laughs> I know who will be there next week. <laughs> that was 16 that we got, not got rid of, voted off the island in our little uh, survivor by election edition. Now, keep in mind, uh, this list that I typed up, I didn't have their proper names up. So a lot of them are just, I don't know what they were. The only reason I point this out is the one name you said to me, I typed it in as Lol Sonder, as in like LOL Saunders. <laughs> and uh, so that's 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 the name I put down. Um, quick, quick question, because I always love your your input. Did I hit the nail on the head, or maybe you would have you would have gotten rid of one of the names I got rid of next week to include? No, no, no. I no? think I think this is a good way to like to to kind of start burning the slate of you know people who signed up but don't seem to have any interest in 
in actually running. You don't have a platform. You don't have a website. You don't have any sort of communication going. So what's what's the point? So I think this is a good set of, of names to sort of get, you know, burned through. Phil, you know, before we end this little thing, what do you say to the people that just keep entering this number? It's it's not getting ridiculous. It already is ridiculous. Keep in mind, we had 31 candidates in October. No one wanted to challenge John Tory. Now we have 76 candidates. What the fuck is going on in this city? Like what? Uh, I I do feel like it's. I mean, who who did I ask? Who I was pleasantly surprised with their honesty. That was that Anthony Fury. I believe so. Who? Um, yes. Who I basically asked like, why why did you choose to run like now? And and I I think he caught me off guard because he was so honest about the fact that you know the incumbency advantage is so strong. Um, so I do think that, that's, I think that's like where that kind of the opening of the floodgates came from. It's knowing that without an incumbent, statistically, you've got a relative to any other time, this is the best shot to go for it. And I, I think that explains kind of the, the floodgates open situation that we're in. It's people realizing that this is their best chance, which I, I think. I, I, I do find it a little bit frustrating and, of course, a little bit, um, you know, you're taking advantage of the situation. But at the same time, I mean, what else are you going to do? You know, like if politics is hard, it's it's something you sort of have to. There's a, there's a lot to it. Absolutely. And with that, we're going to go to our next interview and uh, we'll be back on the other side. And welcome back. Philip is uh, stepped away for the moment, but I am joined by 2023 Toronto mayor candidate. She just registered today, Habiba yeah. Desai. Welcome to the show, Habiba. Hi, hi. Thank uh, you. It's my honor to be here. Philip will join us again. join us momentarily, but until then, right. you know I know who you are because we did the interview back when you ran for Ward 24, but. Uh, to refresh, because this is a new podcast, this is a uh, new new listeners. Let them know, you know, who you are, and uh, you know, maybe some of the top issues that you want to, um, uh, I guess, change, address uh, would probably be the better word. Um, should you win the mayor's chair? Go ahead, Habiba. The floor is yours. Okay, uh, my name is Habiba Desai. I am born and raised in Toronto. I went to R.H. McGregor. I was born in downtown Toronto. I went to R.H. McGregor for elementary school. Then I went to Cosburn Middle School. Then I went to Leaside High School. I momentarily had a brief, um, like one week at uh, Collège Français, um, which was like the French high school, but I it just, I didn't feel comfortable there. So I uh, was in Leaside High School. Um, yeah, so there's, anyways, that, that's just, that's important to be noted. Um, yeah, cool. But I was in French immersion and um, I was educated in the French language as well. I speak a few other languages, including Gujarati, Hindi, Urdu, um, a little bit of basic Spanish. Um, and I also learned Grenadian Patois, so, uh, which is different than French and it's a whole other language. So 
uh, yeah, so that's um, on the education and language side. Uh, in terms of what I want to do for the city, very exciting stuff. So last time, I don't. I mentioned a little bit about transit and safety and the women-only compartments, um, right? And then like all the safety stuff happened on the TTC after elections. So now it's like a big issue. So I actually want to go a little bit further now, now that I'm a mayoral candidate. And I believe that the TTC has to be free. So as soon as I'm mayor, nobody has to pay to get on the TTC. The reason being is because when you go in a store and even if you go get a cup of coffee and if your coffee's cold, you get a refund or you get another cup of coffee. But when you go on the TTC, especially as a woman or myself, I'm gonna speak for myself right now, I want a refund when I'm getting harassed on the TTC and I have to get off halfway through my trip. And now I'm sitting at like Bloor and Young upstairs yeah i'm not okay and i want my money back so the reality is is i can't give refunds to everybody that's going to ask me for a refund every single day because service is bad they miss like the bus didn't show up etc it's not okay and even if it's three dollars it's still three dollars so i can't issue refunds so until service quality um is at a rate that is actually livable and safe and yeah, safety is taken care of um, when they talk about all the delays and the cuts they've made, we'll deal with it. Um, so people shouldn't have to deal with it. And at this point, you shouldn't even have to pay. So there's, you know, there the other candidates are like telling you um, solutions, but you still are paying with. So you're paying your money, so your same amount of money you were paying last year or three years ago, and now you're getting less. And they're telling you that that's okay. That's not okay. So the government, Ontario government, federal government, I have a way, I do have a way to make revenue for the TTC. So I will talk about that as well. So I'm not just going to say I'm going to throw it on the government. I do have a way. So my basic reality is a 60 million users a year for the transit right now, the transit from the passengers makes about 500 million um, and then they get 1.6 billion in subsidies from the government so we're looking at 500 million that i'm talking about saying that that's not passenger it's called passenger services that revenue is not coming in anymore passengers should not have to pay you know what you need to get to work the city needs to operate they should be paying you so this is this is where it gets really good so the the solution i have is i should be paying transit users to use the transit because you're you, there's less pollution in my city there's less traffic in my city um <clears throat> And it's just better for the environment. Like when it, there's there's there are multiple benefits to transit um, if we can leverage the advertising revenue. So I, I looked at the advertising revenue right now. They're making 25 million. So I think on a 60 million user base, uh, we one the users will go up once we make it free. So now we're selling advertising. Um, so the contracts that we had for advertising are different now. So I have to go back, I have to review it, and we're going to charge a lot more. And then this is where it gets really good. So uh, when you watch Netflix, it's $5.99 if you watch a little bit of advertising. So if you're a commuter and I ask you to watch advertising, so it's an app. Same, and it's connected to your Presto card and it's very easy to get that done. And all of a sudden you just have to watch advertising five minutes, 10 minutes to make up for your commute. And I'll, there you go. And so, and the video version of the advertising is a lot better than what TTC is doing right now, where a lot of their advertising is just um, static. Okay, and we're in the next generation. So I think that we're gonna get a lot more, we can even sell cheaper, like shorter amounts of advertising space um, on that app. And 
and then I call it hyper local. So for example, like a sushi restaurant that day, they just have like extra food left over and now they want to sell it at a discounted rate. So the people that are getting off at that station, they want to advertise it to them between 4 PM and 9 PM. So now that's hyper local instead of them having to just go and like say, Hey, sushi, sushi. I, I'm not saying it properly. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Instead of, okay. Instead of them doing that, now you could just uh, put it on the app, right? You just go on and they're going to pay $2.99 or $1.99 and all of a sudden the ad's there and whoever's getting off at that station is going to see it. So I do have a way to make revenue. And if Twitter and Facebook can have free users and make advertising revenue, why can't the TTC do it? Hi, Philip. Oh. I'm gonna. I can go off a little bit. I can go off a little I'm, bit. Listen, you you keep. But I'm ready going. to take I'm over the city. Curious. Stop paying for TTC. We don't need to pay for TTC, people. We don't have to. I'm, and we could take this to other cities in the world, and that is where it gets really exciting. So. Yeah. Is there is there any place doing um this advertising that you're talking about right now because like no it this sounds is my brilliant own. to me it sounds it, is it brilliant. sounds brilliant to me it's a good it idea um so it's it's not being enacted anywhere in the world right now this is just your original idea yes yes i'm extremely intelligent yes and i come up with extremely cool things in this city for example at university of toronto scarborough campus i'm the one that actually made the okay i don't remember the word for it now but you uh, I petitioned the student union to open up all the unused. So there was all these club rooms in the student union before. So I'm the one that petitioned to open them up and turn them into study spaces. So they're always open for student space. So, cause I just thought it was, what's the point of just having them closed up, right? That was one of them. The other one was just putting hot water machine in the student center. Why? Because students they're studying. And a lot of times like it's just noodles and it's coffee and tea. You don't necessarily need to even go to some hortons if you just have access to hot water and it's extremely, it's free. Um, and it allows people to have an affordable and yet healthy and manageable lifestyle while they're studying at school. So those were like small changes that I did that cost no money at my university and made real change to the lives of people there. And then I even remember there was a girl, she said, hey, Habib, she said there was a safety issue. Because you know, when you bring up good ideas, people always have something to say and it's just, it's going to happen. It's fine. It's fine. So she said that it's a safety issue to have hot water in the cafeteria <laughs> so then I told her well as a female when I'm walking home I have no problem putting hot water in my mug and walking home with it so that if I you know encountered somebody I had a cup of hot water with me and then everyone was like oh yeah so I think that there's even there's extra benefits for example now that we don't need the fare collectors to be checking the inspectors to be checking I want to I really I'm really upset about this because I learned that the auditor general got an award about fare evasion <laughs> 11 million dollars 11 million dollars they're gonna save from people evading fares on the ttc hello hello um the city is in a billion dollar um downfall auditor general what are you doing what are you doing like the auditor general should have been calling the alarms uh, about this years ago um and and then the last budget meeting she was all like we're gonna get the money from the government and then <laughs> exactly. Like, no, no, we didn't get the money. So Auditor General, I'm going to audit you. That's what's going to happen when I'm there. Exactly. And you Auditor know, General's you know, office needs to get audited. Because what the hell are you doing with the TTC? The people Habiba. are poor and you're going after them and not the city. I love, you remember I love. Last time I, 
Hey, last time I told you I wasn't going to go there. Remember I said, hey, I'm just a city councilor. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I know. Hey, I, lo I love it. I love it. But I just want to uh, remind you of one thing, and that and that is this is a popular saying, and that and this is what it is. The fish stinks from the head. And the head of the TTC is Rick Leary, and he makes more than double the mayor's salary. That is – that's wrong. Um, yeah. I, honestly, I think the mayor doesn't make enough, and I think that the top salary in the city should be the mayor and everyone down from there. That's just my personal opinion, but um, sorry to interrupt you. I just wanted to throw that one in there. Yeah, see, the salary issue, see, I, it's public money. I don't want to make promises because I'm sure the job's going to be hard and I'm going to need expensive shoes. <laughs> but I still think um, that... It's hard to create like equality when the mayor still makes more than the city councilors. It just creates this kind of like, you know, it's it's still there's this kind of like in, there's not a it's not as balanced I believe as it should be because in um in a cooperative model so the CEO should not make six times more than the lowest earning person amongst their city. So if we look at like the lowest earner in our city, so let's just say that's somebody on welfare, um and like. Even that would be, I'm going to do the math. I'll just say it's like, I'm going to say 500, well, okay? And I know this a little bit more for the welfare, but that there's so many expenses, et cetera. Let's just say at 500, that you can't even call that income, you know? So let's just say 500 times 12, $6,000. So the 6,000 times six. Oh, so the mayor is supposed to make $36,000. <laughs> in a fair and equal system. So in all honesty, now that I know that, I'm going to have to survive off of a 36000 income. Um, that's just the fair. So there's a, so what I want to bring forward is truth. The only way I can win this, if I, I want to win, I want to win this time. I've been independent media. We are running. So it's called a guerrilla, civilized guerrilla warfare. I like okay. it. It's, Go ahead, yeah, Philip. Revolution. You're, you're, you're Go ahead. I could keep talking. I'm so excited today. You don't know. You're so, I'm so happy you're doing this with me. Otherwise I would be sitting in my room <laughs> and tweeting shit. I should not be. <laughs> Ooh. Now you, now you make me want to ask you about what, what you think you'd be tweeting that you you shouldn't be tweeting. I think we should just go there. I think we should just go there. So I, I really do. Let's go last for election, it. Last election, I wanted to just be the city councilor for Scarborough and address the issues for Scarborough. But Toronto as a city, we are now going to be the, so this is the largest democratic vote in Canada. We also need a Wait, sorry, wait, wait. Quick, sorry to pause you for a moment. Which which ward were you running in? Scarborough Gilwood. Ward 24, ah. the, night, the nightmare. Mitzi the nightmare. Hunter. You know what's so exciting? So I met Mitzi on the campaign trail last time. And it's exciting because now Paul Ansley, the city councilor, is going uh, backing Anna and then Mitzi's running. So they're already splitting the Scarborough Gilwood vote. And now I'm coming in with my <laughs> 1000 votes. You know what I mean? And that 1000 means a lot. It means so much. It means so much because now it's like I, it, that one that last time before the 1000, it was 100. So assuming that I'm on the same rate of growth and my rate of growth is actually exponential. So it's going to grow more. So it shouldn't be even so from 1000 instead of 10,000, it should be 100,000. So I am expecting 100,000 votes, but I want a lot more so that I can win. So that's where it's going to get interesting. Well, but I think that because Mitzi there's Hunter, so many candidates, you I don't think you need uh, 
Oh, I think, I think Gordon needs a hundred thousand to win. Well, that's where it's like now you're help now they're helping me win. That's where I'm like, okay, so now you're splitting the Scarborough Gilwood vote away from Anna and and like both of them are there. But okay, so this is where it gets really cool. I was there at the Ontario Science Center, okay? Um, on Saturday and Missy Hunter was there and Olivia Chow was there. I didn't see Mr. Peruzza. I kind of like, I like Anthony Peruzza as a city councilor as well. And I even think his campaign platform right now, very reasonable, very reasonable. I have no problem not giving the premier our money. I have no problem as mayor saying, no, uh, we're going to hold on to our money. And that's okay. So everything he's saying, I'm okay with it too. But I didn't get to see him there. Um, but I saw Olivia Chow from a distance and I spoke to Mitzi Hunter because I did know her from the last election and I let her know that I'm thinking about running if John Tory doesn't run because I didn't want to run if John Tory's running, you know? Well, he and could still can... show up on May 12th. He, he did, three, he did something. Three potential Tory swooping in days. He could sneak in and do his thing. We've got three Okay, days. four hours ago. So see, I just read, watch this, four <laughs> hours ago. I haven't read the article yet. But on the Toronto Sun, it says John Tory rules out mayoral run as polling shows he'd win. And that was published four hours ago today. And it says, despite a new forum research poll showing he would easily win the election race to replace him as mayor, John Tory has signaled he will not be running. Tory would wipe the floor against the other candidates in this election. That is, if Tory's name was on the ballot, the former mayor says it will not be victorious in three consecutive elections. Tory stepped down on February 10th. Okay. Yeah, but he's saying that he's not going to run again today to be like, okay, I'm not running for sure. So then it's like, okay. Yeah, but when has he ever told the truth? So, see, <laughs> this is where I'm starting. Okay, see, I went to, so this is where I'm starting. I, I put, I, I know I have to be, I have to be a merciful leader. So now that I want to be mayor, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, it's so easy to, you know, power, it's like changes the brain. Okay, let's be fair. So I actually have told people before, slap me um, if I act stupid because people act stupid. Yeah, when they get power. So we have to be merciful. We have to be merciful because, so there's this thing about rights of our leaders, same way that our leaders are not supposed to lie to us. We have to show mercy on our leaders because we put so much on them that us as humans not are not necessarily, like, you know, we're all humans. So he's still a human being. So as, at the end of the day, we're putting on the same humanity I have. Now he's expected to like make even more choices. And you have to, you're a leader. You have to, you have to, you're expected to, and you have to. So there is accountability. But at the same time, I'll be merciful in the sense that we live in a, he's not the only rat in the city. There's just rats everywhere. It's infested. It's infested. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's infested. So if Tori got a little bit of the infection, I have to show mercy. You know what I mean? And can we cure it? I hope so. Because I really, I if I'm mayor, I'm telling you, it's going to be hard to say I'm going to know what to do without John Tory. Because there are so many things that John Tory still knows how to do properly. Like, he's very political. He's very calm. He also makes very good leadership decisions that the entire communities of like very diverse communities very very diverse communities and he knows how to play the game he knows how to play the political game and he's been like he's born into it he's birthright and he's very good at it so as a political council councilman i don't know what they're called right now some of my words public remember i am very uh, anxiety and adrenaline right now i cannot remember words i also recently had a concussion <laughs> oh my god that's, I'm not gonna I, laugh about it. I'm not gonna laugh about it. I can't I'm, I'm glad it. that you're laughing about it because it makes but me yeah. laugh about it. But I'm like, oh my god, it's not a joke. But you're laughing about it, and uh, we're having a good time here. 
No, it's just, you know, John Tory might find God. <laughs> and mercy is mercy. I'm not God. Now, here's, so. here's what I will say. I 100% respect this idea that you're coming from. I wanted him oh, to come 100%. back. Let me just put I, it out there. I wanted him to come back. I saw everyone yeah. was running. Well, then there you go. 100% disagree. Again, respect your position. <laughs> do not, do not vibe. Do not buy that. That's okay. I mean, okay. I, I think the way I see it, uh, specifically in the in the case of like John Tory and like kind of being ragged on, you know, you put yourself in a position to to be in that position to be criticized more harshly. And yeah, it's 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 um it's rough. And as you say, there should be some amount of mercy that we do have in our minds of like it is hard, and and things there are things beyond our understanding too, like the machinations of government. As as you pointed out, John Tory has been the mayor for a while. He does understand a lot of that stuff that you know we don't get to see. It's not even so much an understanding thing as much as it is a he has been able to experience it. No, no, what you're that, saying is sorry. right. No, what you're saying is right. Is that if we if we don't put strictness to our leaders, then there will be no change. So you are correct. You are correct. You, that's the only way you're the way you're thinking is the only way to actually make change. Like the only reason I want to bring him back. What I said is his wife should slap him <laughs> in public a hundred times, right? <laughs> public humiliation. Cause he like, cause why should his wife have to suffer for him? Right. So that's no, what I like, thought. She, she's also getting embarrassed out of this whole affair. Yeah. I mean, probably more, I I more unfair. than anyone else, more yeah. than anyone else. Very, I think she's getting, she's very pretty. She's very pretty. <laughs> yeah. And I also thought that John Tory should pay the election expenses if he came back. So I did, I did want him to come back, but I did want him to pay the 13 million from his pocket. So see, there was like, I was like trying to be fair. Like I was trying to be merciful, but I, Matthew, <laughs> okay, I, I said understand. that I want, I just want to film Matthew. And so I said, I wanted John Tory to come back with the, with the clause that his wife slaps him in public a hundred times. Um, and that he pays the city's expenses for the elections. So I did want to make it a, like a fair thing for him, but I still thought he was a better mayor, mayoral candidate than the other people. But my point is I met Olivia, I didn't meet her personally, but I saw Olivia Chow on Saturday. And I just want to say, they did not let me speak. Okay, so guerrilla civilized warfare, the whole point is you have to show up and you have to be there. And you know what? It's Ontario Science Center, it's my area. Like at the end of the day, like um, Toronto Danforth, and so I worked in Thorncliffe Park. I worked at the youth center. So when we talk about the youth being impacted, those are youth that I'm working with. Those are youth that I know. I went to the science center my whole life. Like R.H. McGregor, Cosburn, those were like regular school trips for us because it's just down the road. Like Don Valley, like it's just, it's actually Coxwell and Don Valley. It's just like a straight, um, it's almost straight. If Because there's like a curve on the DVP, right? Because you come back out onto O'Connor. But actually, if you look at it, Coxwell keeps going straight down Um Don Mills. So, uh, and then Lee side is right there at Eglinton and uh, Bayview. So we've, I love the science center. It's not going anywhere. And then I ran into Paul. Oh yeah. And then I saw Paula Fletcher, who's my city council. Um, oh yeah. She was at the, she was at the corner. I don't know if I should be so honest, but then the other part of me is like Habiba, if you're not honest then who are you? Right. Cause we just it's need someone more fun, please. No, it's we actually need fun. a mayor. No, actually, no, it's not even about fun. I think we, we at this time are going to need a mayor that is extremely honest. That is the only way the city will be able to trust the mayor again. So I'm just going to say what happened to me. So I left the, I walked on Don Mills and then there's a crossing to go to the parking lot. Paula was at the, at the corner. Um, 
So I said, Hey, Paula, I gave her my card. I had reached out to her before she had a, she had responded to me very well on email. And then I told her, you know, I'm going to have to deal with Doug Ford by myself. And then I started walking and I don't think she thought I was going to turn around, but then I turned around. I don't know why I did it. I just, I don't know why I did it. It was her voice. The way that she just said like, good luck. It was just her voice. I just turned around and then I saw her face Wait. and then I was like, Paula, oh, no. I told you you were one of the good counselors. So I would like an apology. If I'm Mayor Paula, you're going to have to apologize because you know what you did. That's all. <laughs> I, it's, sorry, it's... I wasn't sure if you were implying that the voice was like a good, like a an actual good luck or if it was a, you're, you're implying I'm... that it was a very. Toronto City Council is like its own soap opera. I, so I, I, don't, I, I don't know how else I... to explain that. I agree. I know after I saw Paula Fletcher, I realized that w even if the council, like let them be voted in, let them sit there, but we're going to have to bring in you, like the public, like, so in terms of a council and accountability, even the auditor general, I'm like, I don't need this auditor general's office. You failed to do your job. We're in a billion dollar deficit. So what I actually need is real people, right? To be the auditors. So like we have actual, uh, so it's not to say that you don't have professionals, you have the professionals on your team, but we need that board to be just the public people. Like, you know, people that are the independents, there are independents that are not um, associated with any political uh, parties and they do have things that they want to bring forward. Like one example is Anthony Lacavera. I don't know if you guys have heard of him, but he's been the one that's been taking on Rogers all this time. Really? He's the founder of WIND. Yeah, he's really interesting. So he's been talking about the Toronto ecosystem for so long, and he wrote this book. Yeah, it's really important. He's He is literally the person um, that has fought Rogers in court. So he went as far as going to the competition board because they won't – he offered, I think it's like $900 million on a bid, and they still didn't take that bid. And now Rogers is like – some of these um, – it's like a monopoly, right? Like – they're monopolizing the telecommunications companies. They're monopolizing the Canadian market. And then it's just extreme. It's like the prices in Canada are ridiculously high, partly because well, yeah, of this. It, it, it helps when you're- He's been fighting that. It helps when your employee is the mayor. Well, see, so this is what I mean. So, and then Anthony's from Toronto. So he's a Canadian businessman, venture capitalist, television host, philanthropist, founder, chairman, and founder of CEO of Global Live, a Toronto-based telecommunication investment company. He also founded several other companies, including WinMobile, a wireless service provider, which was sold to Shaw Communications um, in 2016 for $1.6 billion. And I, okay, here's the book. It's called How We Can Win and What Happens to Us and our country if we don't. So he actually has this idea about, I think it's like a thousand companies being a hundred million dollar companies and like our entire economy changing and how we have a growth ecosystem here. And we do have extremely intelligent people like Elon Musk is still coming out of Toronto. I don't care what anyone says. I'm going to take credit for his brain. He was just South African. Then he came to Toronto and we made him smart. It's our water. So we have a lot of Elon Musk's to put out there and they might not even like he. So like imagine like the I'm Indian, right? Gujarati. Like there are certain um, ethnic uh ethnicities that we have not even like I'm first generation like I'm born in Toronto my parents were not born in Toronto so there is like a new generation because Elon Musk is still white okay he still had certain privileges in Toronto that other kids in Toronto and going to school in Toronto didn't have so as those kids start to come up and they start creating innovations for example like the TTC the free TTC like these types of innovations then yeah the system's going to completely change but Philip I've been working on my model 
uh, from, so my model, I don't know if I talked about it last time, but I've been working on this model uh, from U of T. So as part of my thesis, I then took that thesis and then I started testing it in 2016. But initially I did my thesis with Albert Berry, who was a U of T economist um, from the Monk School and I did really well on it. So, you know, when people talk about development as economic growth, development as social growth, et cetera. So I created a model. It's a socioeconomic wealth creation model. So it does, there's, it's called development as love. And so what I've been able to do is, and love is not love like romantic love. I actually, it's an energy. So even within the TTC, that system, the free TTC, it's actually a circular economy. And then what you start to see is when I keep talking about it protects the environment, it reduces pollution. Um, it also allows for women more freedom. So when there's less cost to travel, women who are poor and may not necessarily um, have as much access to travel for whatever reasons when it's free um now even it's like hey it's free there's nothing to risk i'm just going to go down to the store you know and now you're getting out there so there's there's a reduction in isolation so there's just so many there's multiple reasons why i've created like the reason why it's so brilliant and why everything keeps working so perfectly is because it's part of a much larger socioeconomic model that i have perfected over now 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 8 years. Wow. And now, yeah, and then my professor, I reached out to him because now I'm going to run for our elections and I want, I want U of T to back me. You know what I mean? Like I want, I want there to be an academic backing to, because I want it to be a revolution. Like I'm not going to go into mayor and someone's going to call me her worship. That's disgusting. Do not call <laughs> me that. I refuse to be called that. I refuse. That's can disgusting. We, can we go back for a second? You said uh, about working with different counselors and stuff. I just want to ask your position on um, whether or not you would keep Jennifer McKelvey as your deputy mayor, uh, Gary Crawford as your budget chief, and your position on the strong mayor powers. Go ahead. No, 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 zero, zero. Excellent. No. Those people are, no, that's a no. no. Those uh, people are, deputy no. mayor, like, if, between me and Anthony Peruzza, I like Anthony Peruzza. There's even Gord Perks is not so bad. Um, I yeah, there's certain people that they do speak up and uh, uh, oh, Alejandra Brava. Oh my yes. gosh! Oh yeah, let's She's cheer for her. Dude. Yeah, Deputy, let's Deputy cheer Mayor for Bravo. her. She's a favorite here. So we also, we also like Amber Morley. We, okay, well she didn't speak up as much at the budget meeting as i expected her to i am disappointed. no bravo bravo stood up for the um i know there was she that was... little uh altercation between her and bradford about the the defund the police where bradford was very disingenuous <laughs> um no so are you, are you thinking a deputy mayor bravo then um, look, I'm going to have to talk to the ladies. It's going to be ladies, just so we're clear. I'm sorry to the men, but men have messed up the city. So there is accountability. I'm not, not you guys, not you guys. No, let me stop. Let me stop, please. Let me stop. I'm joking. It's, sorry. It's, it's not a visual podcast. I'm very angry. Listen, it's, it's not a visual podcast. So nobody will see the fact that I was jokingly <laughs> making a face of offense. I, I absolutely the agree with you. The misogyny of the place. The misogyny of the place. I am sick and tired of the misogyny of the place. I am sick and tired of men thinking they're entitled to anything. You're not entitled to shit. You're not entitled to shit. 
You should so see the will, way. I don't know how I much. Will be, I will be taking women. I will be taking women leaders with me um, because I am more comfortable with women as well. And it's not to say that the men amongst us are not correct. It's just to say the city needs a new. It just needs. It just needs a change. Okay, it needs a change. And so I will speak to the ladies and I will see what we think is best. I don't know okay, how. Much... I'm just gonna let you know that Alejandra Brava. I like her, Anthony Bruzza. I don't know how much uh, council meetings you watch, but. You should see the at least the the, the um, what do you call it the the the, the physical behavior. What, what's that word? Ugh, that phrase I'm looking for? Uh, the body. Um, oh, body language. Thank you. Fuck, I couldn't. The body language of of uh, of Burnside, of Bradford, <laughs> and of ah, Stephen so Holiday, to name a few. So yeah, how oh, like holiday. how do how when you oh. say it like how does that thing just like pop up in my head without even saying the name because it's so disrespectful like they're extremely disrespectful and I don't know if they do it on purpose to purposefully like make the public feel like they're not even entitled to a voice because it's a form of gaslighting like men abusive men do it to women all the time actually so sometimes I hate it when my politicians I hate it I hate it when politicians disrespect the public because the public put you there why are you being disrespectful like they didn't do anything to you so why just so you can hold your seat of power just so you can keep ripping them off you're gonna abuse them and even the way they treat people in the council meetings when they go in there I've seen it I've seen the videos it's, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. I should sit on the floor if I'm the mayor, if people are being treated like that. Like, that's disgusting. So there's things that the city's been doing that's dehumanizing. That's the word I should use. I get disgusted by it. I get traumatized by it all the time. And then it's just like, uh, what do I want to do about it? What do I want to do about it? And then it's like, okay, we're going to run for mayor. But when I run for mayor, we're going to need a revolution. Like, it's not just that. That's what I was trying to say, that this is the largest democratic vote in Canada. And if we're talking about constitutional change, then these like and you need a, like a majority constitutional change. Well, here we go. If we here agree, then the rest of the country is, you know, the chances are a lot better. So I'm just saying in the constitutional change, you should stand and start with Toronto. It can't be all of Canada. And if so, Barbados was able to do it. Barbados is a small little island. India was able to do it. Why can't Toronto do it? So why can't Toronto? I'm saying annex ourselves, annex ourselves to treaty. You know, it says a Mississauga of the credits. Yeah, I want to give, um, I'm sorry, but the Indigenous women on this Toronto, this specific land, there's treaty rights, right? So treaty rights is that you do not abuse the Indigenous people on this land while you have ownership of this land. Indigenous women and girls are being murdered specifically here on this land. It's not being reported. It's not in the statistics. They go missing all the time. So there's these uh, issues that are happening specifically to the Indigenous community. And I just put it up yesterday so it's a war i'm gonna fight i i want to go to like so what i'm saying is yeah annex ourselves and let's go to the world courts and tell them that you know what toronto's doing this and we need to be our own country we need a new treaty and at that time uh every nation so this is where it gets really interesting i think everyone needs to stop speaking on behalf of other people because every culture has its own laws every religion has its own system make your own treaties with the mississaugas of the mississaugas of the credit there are other people who are claiming land rights um title rights to this land make treaties with them make treaties with them make your communities and make treaties with them and i'm not talking about anarchy because it's not going to go to anarchy we're a very peaceful people technically the system right now doesn't even function and we are all leaving 
not totally peacefully. It's not totally peaceful, but it's not like Venezuela right now either. Okay. Like, so we need to like kind of take a break there and say that we are good God fearing. There are good God fearing people. There are good people who do not believe in God, but they're just good people. There are good people in the city. If there weren't good people in the city, the city would not, like, I would not be sitting here with you. But I want to say the thing about the war crimes because I, and you can't stop me. Don't, don't worry about stopping me because I'm a little bit, um, I'm going off too much and I'm sorry. No, I have to say the thing about this first though. It's very important. It's very important. Sexual violence tends to be an inevitable repercussion of warfare trapped in an ongoing cycle of in, impunity. Rape of women is often used as a method of warfare, war rape as a form of attack on the enemy, typifying the conquest and degradation of its women. So I believe that that is what is occurring to the indigenous women. I do not think they're just being missing and murdered. I think there's a genocide. Um, and I think it is a war crime because I think they're still treating them because technically it's still their land. So, uh, and I, uh, the people who killed and murdered and all these things to the Indians in India, they're saying it was like a hundred million actually um, during the British colonialism that actually died from their policies and all these things. So we're going to say that the people that murdered you and killed you and tried to wipe you out the last time, they're not going to try that again. It's very scary, very scary. No, they're gonna try it again. So I think that a war is going on. I think that no one calls it what it is. And I think we need to, because even the Toronto cops, like this is where the sympathy for, I know, I know, I know. I can't, I have to be the mayor now. I have to be the mayor. This is where I say about the Toronto cops. Toronto cops are fighting in a war without an army. So they have all this like unfair aggression built up as well towards society because it's so unfair to, when you think about it, it's just a cop that's literally fighting in a war. And he has no, none of the money that armies have. He has none of the weapons that armies have. He has none of the intelligence that armies have. And we do have serious problems in Toronto when it comes to like our security threats, like what happened on um, Young Street, what happened on the Danforth, like these things are not okay. Like there was a mass shooting in Scarborough and no one even called it a hate crime. So there are things that are happening in this city as well that need to be stopped and they can be stopped. They can be prevented, they can be stopped and they're not happening because the cops, re so this, this is where it gets really good. So for the police, and I've heard the police, I've heard it all. I wanna open up a women's only police station. That's the only way that I'm gonna be okay with the police is if I have a women's only police station with these female officers that are complaining as well about the sexual harassment that's happening in the police force. They need a space that's safe where they can still go to work and they can still do the service to women. So I need a women's only police station and the way I'm gonna fund it was with the Department of Justice and Can the Canadian Department of Justice so the feds, federal government. Justice, uh, justice uh, partnership and innovation program. Okay, so they have money for us. And so what they focus on is sexual violence, um, domestic assaults and violent uh, crimes against children. And it's been proven in certain societies, there's back, there's a backlash that can happen when the, the women police officers um, are part of the misogynistic society, then there, there are problems with women-only police stations. But the positive side of women-only police stations and taking place in India and in South America is that there's an increase in reporting. There's an increase in reporting. And then when you have increase in reporting against crimes against women and children, those are men. So, cause they're not always men. They're not always men, but a majority of the crimes that happen to women, violent crimes that happen to women, happen from men. So if we're getting the men when they're abusing the women and children, because they're cowards, I'm telling you, anyone that hits a woman and a child, you're a coward. I'm gonna tell you to your face, you are a coward. You are a coward. And most likely you are one of those cowards that are out on our streets, messing it up too. So if we can get you, so the, the reality is the conviction rates go up as well. 
So we might not be able to get them for the abuse or the assault on the street, but now the assault charges are continuing, okay? We're getting them and they're staying away for a much longer time. So we need a women's only police station. The fact that Toronto doesn't have one is, I don't know why we don't have one. It's because it's my human right. I even thought about it. I, I, I recently got a concussion. I recently got a concussion. And that's when I realized that I don't feel comfortable dealing with men that have guns when I'm feeling like scared of men. I'm scared of men. I don't want to go near a man with a gun. I don't want to go report to a police station where there's men with a gun. I just don't want to. I'm not going to. Why would I put my body in that type of risk? And then to think that now I'm going to get scared, I might do something, and now they're going to put a form on me. I know what a fucking form is, people. I know what a fucking form is. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not nice. It's not nice at all. So these are things that you have to think about. And then it's like, how is that okay? So remember when we talked about Borden and we're going to make the Khabib fight school there? Okay. And then we talked about the mental health services and then we have mobile mental health services. We never talked about a woman's only police station at that location. What's wrong with having a woman's only police station there? Because now you can have access to those services as well. So for example, like sometimes you have to get like, there's video, there's like video photographs. There's um like at other like uh, so civil society and healthcare services that also take place that the police have to work in partnership with anyways. So to say that, that in the complex, now you have, fighters we have fighters you know what i mean and these are going to be good men like they're going to be trained with self-respect confidence all of these things so we have a safe space and then there can be a police a woman's police station it doesn't have to be the same location but it's not to say that these things are so uh, to say that they're so um separated as well so it's like we're building there we're building all the services etc but we can have it so that the fight school is now separated and part of the school still has the services and there's a safety doorway, et cetera. And both can be accessed because children, because we want to provide women and children services because a woman sometimes is their children, right? Um, and, or they have to bring their children with them for whatever reasons as well. So we want both, both of them, both of them. But yeah, so um, shelter, like even the emergency one night shelter, but doesn't it need to be uh, all the time, but police stations, if you go and you report it, then they take you to a shelter, right? Maybe you're not going to feel safe leaving the police. For whatever reason you went to the police you may not feel safe so to and some in india sometimes like i don't know how many cities have done this but it's a police station that is attached to a woman's shelter what's wrong with that right it's like a daycare that's attached to an elderly home there's nothing wrong with that that's actually very good right it reduces the isolation and then the elderly are able to impart their wisdom on the young people and you can even do that with college residences as well so there's a lot of way that we can even do affordable housing build up housing um, and then do multi different types of housing, but even mix the ages as well, where it's safe, where it's safe. And yeah. Abiba, I'm just aware of our time and uh, I, I want to thank you for, for coming on, but this is your chance to talk to our listeners, the voters, and let them know what a, a mayor decide government would, would do for them and, and why they should vote for that. Go ahead. The floor is yours. And don't forget to include your, I, I, I'm not sure if your website's up and running, but, you know, your email or where, so people can contact you. Okay, sure. So, okay, I just want to say, I do want to open the women's police station in Scarborough as well. That's what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. I want to open that in Scarborough because there, yeah, so that's also part of the diversity part of it as well. And the language part of it and even like the cops are trying to be more inclusive and create more jobs so like even me if i lose the mayoral election if i lose i'm going to be a police officer because i have um i feel i can do a good job at the at the women's only police station that i want to be in charge of so that's my plan b actually okay because that's the only way that i'm going to feel safe in the city is if a cop like me is around okay 
That's what I told myself that the only way I'm going to feel safe at this point is if I know there's a cop like me around, I'm going to be like, all right. So same idea, people. I think I want to say ladies and gentlemen, they say brothers and sisters. Um, if I'm mayor of the city, I already believe that we need, so I call it the Toronto Council, United Nations Council. So every nation, every country that's represented in this in Toronto. And then, you know, I know India has Khalistan. So if you're a public, if you're a people and you feel that that country doesn't represent you and you, like Palestine wants to say they want to represent themselves, no problem. Whichever people want to represent themselves, we make that council and then we are now able to vote. And then you say, how is that possible? Well, right now we already have committees and then the committees go to the council. So it's gonna be the same idea. So when we give votes, right, we give the council votes. Why can't the mayor, I'm the mayor, now all of us say that there's other committees that have equal votes, you know, and then change these laws. So when you, you know, in the mayoral powers, so for the mayoral powers, Doug Ford, see, this is where it gets interesting. I think we should look at it as a strategic weapon. I really do. Because if we're not the bad guys, we're not going to use it to do any bad anyways, right? So the reality is, is that actually we can use it to stop whatever he's doing if we ever want to. And someone does need to stand up to Doug Ford. And I think I'm going to do it because I don't like, you know, I read about the bullying. I don't even think he's a bully. I don't even think he's a bully. I actually feel sorry for him. I feel really sorry for him. Actually, I really do. Because you have to be really like to do the kind of stuff he does. It's not okay. Like he doesn't care about hell. That's sad. So yeah, Dougie, don't go to hell. Do the right thing. Save the science center. Thank you so much for for coming on and uh, and letting us know what a mayor Desai government would look like. And that was Habiba Desai. Habiba, hopefully my new friend. I really enjoyed her. Uh, she had a lot of really good ideas, and I I did particularly like. Um, I want to say, I don't know if she'd agree with me. I want to say her feminist lens on, on a lot of these ideas, because we, we haven't really had too much of that, uh, this election or most like municipal lower, I want to say municipal and elections don't really seem to focus so much on, on, I want to say a, a feminist lens. So I'm very happy to have Habiba come on and, and talk from that perspective. And her energy was off the wall. It's like, she just just came home from the uh, uh, registration. <laughs> it was it was amazing. She seems happy. She seems motivated. You know, I I'm not speaking for all the candidates, but I don't. No, that's gonna it's gonna seem like I'm knocking all the candidates, but I, I haven't seen anyone come at us with that energy, with that motivation, to get to the root of the problem. Yeah, and, and I'm not knocking again. I'm not knocking the candidates. I'm just calling it like it is because, as I said in our previous segment, I don't want a fucking job. So I'm the only one who's going to tell you the truth. Thank you, Jim Cornette. Uh, <laughs> so there's a couple things I wanted to cover, and then we'll get the fuck out of here. Okay. I have been dying. We didn't get a chance to cover this last week. I have been dying to get your opinion. On the oh, fact shit. that uh, another, not another, I don't know if there's been others, but a celebrity, a quote-unquote celebrity, has endorsed Anthony Fury for mayor, Mr. Jordan Peterson. I got to hear what you have to say about that. The floor is yours. Oh, no. Go, go ahead. Oh, no. Oh, God. Oh, no. 
Um, oh no, Jordan Peterson. Jordan Balthazar Peterson. Did you not hear about this? Don't... No, no, I, I did hear about this. I, 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 maybe this, this could be a moment where if maybe a listener would like to let me know that I am out of touch. But the very specific thing that I had said, um, because I think it was, I think it was Brian Lilly uh, of the Toronto <laughs> Sun who had who had tweeted and kind of and said like, "This is a big deal, the Jordan Peterson endorsement." Do people? Do a lot of people in Toronto listen? I know he's a celebrity. I do know there's a lot of people who do look and respect him and all that stuff. Does that audience exist in Toronto? specifically i don't know if it does and again uh you know listeners um you're in toronto maybe you're you have a very different perspective you're like actually jordan uh looks at fetish videos and things as a chinese plot peterson uh is cool and torontonians do like him so you know let me know that i'm wrong if you'd like i mean i'm not gonna i'm not gonna internalize it too much you can tell that I'm not going to internalize it too much because I referred to him as Jordan shares fetish videos and thinks they're Chinese plans Peterson. So, uh, you know, um, good for Anthony Fury. Have a little bit more respect for yourself. Wow. <laughs> Telling it like it is. So I read something today. I can't remember if it was on Twitter or somewhere else. And I read it. I read that Brad Bradford doesn't really care if he wins this election because that's not what this is about. He has. I think I've seen what you're talking about. He actually Sorry, has. You keep going. No, no, it's all good. He actually has his eye on the the leadership for the Ontario Liberal Party. I gotta know what you think. I, you're not a self. You're not a self-professed liberal, and I've been knocking the liberals since we started this podcast. Um, in in general, not because you know I hate fucking I hate I hate all the political parties because it's just a bunch of bullshit and they're gonna do whatever their donors tell them to do. It's a lot of disingenuous exactly people. But I, I I gotta hear what you think about the potential of Brad Bradford being the next leader of the Ontario Liberal Party and possibly. The next premier. Your thoughts. <laughs> you know, here's so I've I've spent a lot of this um mayoral campaign on Twitter very, very loudly criticizing Brad Bradford and his campaign. Like I there's like three instances where he would make a policy thing and I would criticize it directly and I'd get more likes than his original tweet. Of course, as I've said before, that is a ratio. His most his most recent instance on Twitter is he was talking about Olivia Chow uh, essentially running on an NDP uh, ideological platform. And I I thought that was based on I just thought his comment was so ridiculous. I didn't even respond to him with like a fact or anything. All I said was, Brad, don't make me ratio you again for this. And I did. My comment got more likes than his. His like policy tweet. And so I gotta say, Brad, I'm sorry, I'm really not doing this on purpose. Sorry, 
I am getting to a, a point of what how I see Brad Brad. And, and the big image I see as an issue of his campaign and how it leads into all of this other stuff is I, I don't think Bradford has ever really campaigned very honestly. I feel like he's only ever campaigned in the pursuit of winning, which is, you know, so he he re- he was running in Beaches East York and he, he ran on things like, you know, housing on cycle lanes on that stuff, because that's what the people of Beaches East York want. Now he's running for mayor. Now he's running on, you know, motorists, cops. He, you know, he's trying to out, outflank Saunders on the right. And the impression I get from a campaign like that, from someone who campaigns so differently for city council, is that Brad Bradford has is purely interested in power, in elected power. So I, it would not surprise me at all if, if after this bid for mayor fails, he go he jumps right into trying to get the Ontario Liberal leadership. Can I and stop I, you for I a second? See it as, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. Wasn't he one of the one of the ones contending for the the conservative uh, stamp of approval, the endorsement from Doug Ford? I it seemed like he was. <laughs> Which is what's again, so it's like you're campaigning for city council on a pseudo progressive platform because you think that's what's going to let you win. And then when you run for mayor of the city, you're running more on, you know, safety, cops, um, the gardener, because you think that's what's going to get you to win. So my impression of Bradford is that he's not, I don't see him as authentic. I see him as someone running for power. And so that's why it would not in any way, shape or form surprise me to find out that he was interested in the Ontario liberal leadership. Wow. And now to close tonight, I wanted to talk to you. I I mean, I know you had a busy weekend. You were away. Did you get a chance to, because it was available after the fact uh, to view um, the, the mayoral debate that took place at Ontario Place. I literally had just started watching it, but no, I haven't. I haven't seen too much of it. So I, I've seen some of it, and and I have some thoughts, Ooh. and I'd love to uh, discuss it with you to see uh, how you feel about it. So, sure. so Olivia Chow was, was there, I, I, I believe. So was Mitzi Hunter. Gru was there, actually. Um, uh, Philip De Cruz was there. Uh, there was, there was yeah, quite, actually, a, um, quite a few candidates. I think I might have it pulled up on my phone because I, I like literally I was just in the middle of it. So um, I knew Gru was, I saw a picture of Gru there, but I know he wasn't one of the ones listed on. Sorry, you, you talk, I'll, I'll bring it up. So my thoughts are this. The reason that I think that 76 candidates is ridiculous is because you can group the 76 candidates into three groups. There's a group of people who just wanted to put their name in to be recognized, to be able to say, I'm a former mayoral candidate. 
There's a group of people who we'll call the middle because I don't know what else to fucking call them. And then there's the the not the celebrity candidates. I don't that's not what I'm going to call them, but I'm going to call them the front runners. Okay, and and that's that list is actually longer than five people. It's maybe I would say 12. Yeah, yeah. But most most is the middle. And and here's my problem with the the middle and with the people who just want to be recognized. You're wasting the time of Toronto citizens, taxpayers, and voters. For every person, even, even anyone new from today on that enters, you're wasting time. You're splitting the vote. And we're... <laughs> We are in a danger of possibly electing the wrong person for the fourth election in a row. If you don't want to win, get out of the way. You know that everyone fucking regs on the military, but there's that thing, lead, follow, or get out of the way. Get the fuck out of the way. And the reason I say that is because you have candidates who want to treat it like like a high school reunion like oh everyone's going to get together they're they're complimenting other candidates what are you doing if i was a candidate i would not be making friends with the other candidates but that's not because i'm not a friendly person it's not because i don't think that these other people are wonderful people i'm sure most candidates if not all of them are wonderful people but that's not my job. As a candidate, my job would be winning the election. Everybody that is in the election is my opponent. Why the fuck am I going to... What is the... If I'm going to sit there at the microphone when it's my turn and I'm highlighting everybody else, why is anyone going to vote for me when all I can talk about is other candidates? It just... It's just... Something that I that I noticed, it's a recurring theme. It's not just this mayoral debate. It's going back to last year. It drives me banana sandwich that that people do it, and it's it's a number of them. And then there's another group of candidates. They they don't want to go out. They don't want to they don't want to participate. And then they want to blame the media because you know every other candidate's blaming the media. So fuck it, I'm just going to get on that train. And they blame the media so for for not uh, for not not including them. For and not then they, seeking them out. Exactly. And then they sit on That's Twitter. What mad about. And then they sit on Twitter and complain about it. And complain and complain and complain. And I can go on and on and on because that's all they do. Some really friggin' despicable stuff has been written on Twitter from some of these candidates. Specifically, I have one in mind, and it's you don't have to be a fucking rocket surgeon to understand what I'm who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Blake Acton. But no, I'm not going to go on for 20 minutes about Blake Acton. He doesn't deserve 20 minutes of my life. He already had too much. But again, I'm only telling you all this because I don't want a fucking job from any of you. And because of that fact, and I don't want anything else from you, I'm the only one who's going to tell you the truth, whether you like it or not. If you like the truth, that's great. If you don't, well, I'm sorry to... 
I'm sorry. It's not meant to offend any of the candidates. Most, if not all the candidates are great people. We love having them on the show. I hope they continue. But that's not going to stop Philip and I from telling it like it is. That is why we started this show. It's not meant to rag. We're not bullying. We're not harassing. We are telling it like it is. When someone does something good, we're going to highlight it. We're going to recognize it. We're going to acknowledge it. But when someone does something shitty, we are going to talk about it. And we're going to go, we're going to call them out just like we did last week, just like I'm doing now. So again, to the middle and, 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 and candidates who just want to be recognized. If you're looking for advice, not that you are, fuck it. Why would you get out of the way? Drop out. I, I, I'm very interested to see how many people are going to drop out before May 12th. I really am. What do you think? I, I'll, I'm going to, I want to hear everything. I want to hear your comments on everything I just said. But to start it off, what do you think is the over under on how many people are going to drop out by, by the deadline? I actually, I don't think too many people are going to officially drop out. I think there's going to be a lot of people who, you know, a couple of weeks down the road are going to suspend their campaigns, um, you know, which is unofficial and their name will say on the ballot and they'll probably, you know, score a few wayward votes just by having their name on the ballot. Still, I would suspect, you know, I wouldn't even be surprised if half the campaigns just don't go anywhere, but don't officially drop out. And am I off base? I, I told you to let me know. Am I off base of everything I just said? Or do you have anything to add? No. Um, I, I I know what you're talking about. And it's it's this frustration where it's like, there's there'll be people who comment on this idea where they think they're owed media because they're running for mayor. And it's like, but you... You're not owed media. You aren't owed any any part of this experience. You aren't owed a platform. You have to go out of your way to make that happen. Um, that's that's just what I believe. I, I, I you can't sit there and be mad about our traditional media not coming to you. It's it's a hard situation because I also I understand why they would be frustrated with the media as like. As I, I've said about the last election and, uh, and the media towards it and that it was very quiet, almost like it was their decision to make it a non-consequential election, which clearly it was. There are issues with the media and we can call them out, but a lot of these candidates, it's not, their issue isn't with the media's presentation of the campaign. Their issue is that the media isn't going to them specifically. And you're not owed that. Couldn't have said it better myself. All right, so I think I think we're good. I always I think this uh, says this has been a very heavy episode. Yes, it'll be uh, it, it'll be fun to listen to it. It's in its entirety. So people are wondering. I want to address this before we get off. People are wondering because I said last week we're going to have Mitzi Hunter on the show. 
Uh, unfortunately, she had a scheduling conflict. So we are waiting to confirm a new date. Um, I'm hoping that happens. I'm really hoping that wasn't uh, an excuse to drop out of our interview. I'll say it. Um, because I like Mitzi. That has not changed. I really, really like her. The prodigal daughter returning to Toronto City Hall. I love that story. And I want to interview her. So, Mitzi, if you're listening, let's get together with your representative. Let's let's get another date. I don't care what day it is. Neither does Philip. As long as it's evening or week, whatever. We'll make it work. It's just 30 minutes. We'll figure it out. Um, so, tentatively... And I say that because I know that scheduling uh, stuff happens. Tentatively, next week, Giorgio Mammoliti will be on the show. And I am so excited to talk to him. Um, I'm very excited to talk to him. So we have that to look forward to. And I, there are other candidates, but I don't have the list in front of me. Uh, that are going to be on next week's show. Um, if you are listening to this and you're a candidate and I haven't reached out to you, you know, you can email me. I, I'm doing a hundred things with this, with this thing. We're also working on a debate, um, which is proving to be a little bit more difficult than I thought it would be, but we're working through it. Um, basically that's, that's all my life updates. Um, I think I think we're good. Uh, so, I mean, it, do you have anything else do you want that you wanted to cover, or I I don't want to start because I, I feel like it'll be a whole other segment. I I almost wanted to directly respond to a particular uh, Twitter user who actually um, who listened to our episode last week and had uh, said some points that I thought were really great, and I still would like to address those points individually. I think I might still do it just on Twitter instead of via this podcast, but why not? Um, but I, I just, I really liked, I liked having that input, you know, we always welcome feedback. Um, you can hit us up individually or the show account. We're, we're, we're easy. To, we're not hard to find. Uh, we're we not make ourselves available. We're not hiding because we're not afraid of what we say. We mean what we say. We're not afraid because I'm not going to lie to you because I don't want anything from you. Um, but I do want to say one more thing before we, I know we, I keep fucking saying, yeah, we're going to leave. We're going to leave. One more thing. I want to thank each and every listener for our podcast, for our audience. You guys are amazing. We're growing every week. We popped a huge rating last week. Thank you so much to everybody that came out. We popped the biggest rating we've had since the Reginald Tall episode. Thank you. And please continue to listen. Please, you know, we're not asking for money, but support us in the way of listening, downloads. If you know someone who, who likes municipal politics, you know, we talk about other stuff too, and we curse too. So that's, that's fun. I always, 
you know, when I listen to a podcast, I'm like, but with the but but they don't curse. I I, I you know, someone says the F word and I I giggle like a like a six-year-old. I love it. I can't help it. Um seriously, just support us by listening, downloading, stream, whatever the, the word is. Tell a friend, get them to listen. That's how you can support us. And we thank each and every listener that we have ever had for this podcast. Um, and basically that's it. So let's get the hell out of here. You know, so yes. So for Phil and for Gru and for Brian and Habiba and everyone else, thank you guys so much. And we will see you next week. And this is the municipal have you been paying attention to like city stuff? Don't vote, can't bitch. Sorry to uh, to point that finger at you. My answer with that would be yes and no. My tummy hurts, and I'm mad at the government. You're saying council wouldn't approve it, and two, you're robbing them of their their voice. It's it's he's already he's already failed to uphold. Well,